Thanks to Warby Parker for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get petite quality, stylish eyewear and sunglasses at revolutionary prices. Try them yourself by going to warbyparker.com slash fool to order your free home try-on kit with free shipping all around. It's Monday, April 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Back in the building. Holy cow. What happens? Just strap in for earnings palooza. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, I was looking at uh, an infographic on Twitter earlier today talking about it just was basically a, a picture of all of the company logos of of the you know the earnings that matter this week and man, that was a big picture. A hundred and ninety companies in the S P five hundred are reporting this week. Yeah. And we're gonna talk about some of them. I think like seventy five percent of our, of <laughs> Not our all portfolio of them. reports this week. What's that? I think like seventy-five percent of MDP's holdings report this week. All right, well, let's get this episode on those fingers up, baby. So you light this candle. You can go back to work. Um, We're going to get into some earnings. We're going to get into some unsurprising news that I'm I'm pretty sure we called about Netflix and uh, and some good news for Samsung. But uh, let's start with Halliburton. First quarter profits. Came in slightly higher than expected. Uh, I guess they're doing some more drilling in North America. Yeah, that that's the key here. It always is for Halliburton, uh, the largest land driller in North America, um, starting to gain an international presence. But it all relies over fifty percent on North America and revenues there up twenty four percent quarter over quarter. Um, typically, you see um, a little bit less of rig activity in the first quarter due to you know winter weather, uh, but um, this was an outlier and um, U.S. land up 30%, so driving that international revenues down about 8% quarter over quarter, but Latin America looking strong out of Brazil and Mexico. Um, and they did kind of call a bottom for the Eastern Hemisphere in terms of rig count, um, but they're not looking for significant growth over the 2016 levels, but hopefully no less of an impact there um, as rig counts maybe stabilize, grow a little bit into the second half. What should investors expect in terms of the business of Halliburton mm-hmm. over the next, say, three years, um, and and how much of it should be built? How much of it should be tied to the price of gas? Because this is a stock that had done so well for so long, mm-hmm. and like everybody else affected by the price of gas, and you know, you among others said on this show, like, look, if anyone is built to withstand. A downturn in the price yeah. of oil. It's Halliburton. Yeah, it certainly is, and it, and it has shown that. I mean, the price has rallied back quite significantly. Um, even in the downturn, it was there to support its customers, um, giving them price cuts, and even helping finance some of the drilling that these companies were, were trying to do through Halliburton. So they showed good faith to their most loyal customers, and I think that they're going to be rewarded for that. Um, granted, they need to now increase their prices a little bit, um, not too dramatically, because oil prices are still pretty. Subdued. Um, you've seen some supply worries, so prices, I believe, are now back below fifty dollars. But for this company, near term, definitely some adjustments to be made. You're bringing a lot of equipment back online. They've talked about hiring a lot more people coming up, so margins did get impacted by that a little bit in the first quarter here. Um, so I look for them to maybe not try to get out ahead of themselves a little bit too much, because as you can see, price of oil isn't set to rise too dramatically in the near term. Um, but North America drillers still uh, very ravenous appetite to drill, and this is the company that's servicing them. Uh, so I, I have very high hopes for this company over the next three years. But don't 
get too far ahead of yourselves in the near term. Yeah, we actually um, sold Halliburton from MDP not too terribly long ago. It, it was a good investment for us. We made some money with it, but part of it was based on just that. I mean, we don't see oil prices really. We don't see that catalyst taking oil prices. Uh, a whole heck of a lot higher yeah, over, over the course of the coming mm-hmm. uh, couple of years, at least, and that's really, you know, that's the proxy used to sort of see how these guys mm-hmm. are are doing. And uh, it, it's just, it seems like, and and I, I I've been of the thought that I mean, we would certainly see oil prices bounce back to fifty, sixty, seventy dollars a year over over the coming five years, simply because of. The supply and demand dynamics at play here. I'm I'm becoming a little bit more skeptical that that may be the case, though, and I think it's just because we're seeing a lot of sort of I guess consideration for other alternatives out there. And really, I think Tesla has probably made a lot more progress here um, to this point than a lot of people thought they they maybe would have. And I mean, it's not just I mean they're obviously not selling the same amount of cars as Ford and GM are, but they they are. Uh, Making a lot of progress, and and I think that maybe the mindset is such that uh, there are there are alternatives out there. It, it does matter. A lot of people are getting on board with uh, alternative energy, and so I, I can't help but wonder. I mean, if these oil plays are necessarily going to kind of get back to those days of of seventy eighty dollar oil, and if they don't, then I mean, really, how how much upside yeah. can we really expect from them? And I mean, Halliburton certainly a big player in the space, one of the biggest. Um, I think I think the Baker Hughes. Deal being called off, uh, probably. Yeah, crimper style, just a little bit. <laughs> Soured a few yeah, investors. lost a few billion dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point, oil prices still suffering, and that's with OPEC at 99% compliance of their of their announced cuts last November, which is unheard of for OPEC. Their average compliance, I think, is generally in the 75 to 85% range, and they're at 99% right now, and still not affecting the price of oil to the upside. So. Uh, I expect another cut from them, or at least to maintain their cut after they. I think it was a six-month review period, so that's coming up pretty soon here. I expect it to maintain, or maybe even cut a little bit more, because prices of oil still not where they need to be for those OPEC countries to sustain their government spending habits. First quarter profits and revenue for Hasbro came in higher than expected, and Jason, we talk about the Disney Princess contract that they got a few years back. But you look at this quarter, and it's a nice reminder that Hasbro's got a pretty strong portfolio beyond that, including the Transformers toys and Nerf. Yeah, very strong uh, quarter. And given the retail environment in general and the egg that Mattel just laid uh, here during earnings season, I mean, it was very fair going into this report to wonder, regardless of what Hasbro reported, how the market would necessarily React to it. Um, I think the key here is that Hasbro and management—they're meeting their own internal expectations, which are pretty much in line with Wall Street's expectations, and they see more of the same uh, for the coming year. I mean, these toy makers, as as they they go throughout the year. I mean, quarter one really is that that's just that's the low point, and then you see as we get towards the holiday season, the performance starts to really pick up. I think what's really Worth noting here is is that Hasbro has a lot of strength in their franchise brands uh, versus the partner brands. Now the franchise brands are, are names like Nerf and Play-Doh and Transformers, like you mentioned, versus partner brands which are things like Star Wars and Disney Princesses and whatnot. So on, on the heels of a pretty strong uh, film season, they're sort of hitting the reset button on the partner brands side of the business and getting getting ready for. A busier holiday season here, and so to see that they can see a little bit of a decline there in the partner brands segment of the business, and they can really pick up that slack with the franchise brands, 
shows us that the franchise brands still have some strength, which is key because I mean Mattel has I think witnessed some some weakness with some of their historically stronger franchise brands. But I mean the thing that kind of took me back was forty three percent growth in gaming. And we've talked about these play, these 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 uh, toy makers, and, and sort of ex- it's coming into this digital age, and how they were going to embrace it, and how they were going to do it. Um, Hasbro had seemed to they they figured something out. I mean, Monopoly is obviously a big name for Hasbro, but 43 percent growth in gaming, I think, is just just impressive to look at when you add that to to the success in the franchise uh, division. Is that I, a I smaller a, base that they're working off of, though? In potentially, terms of a I think potentially. I mean, you're coming off of, off of a pretty easy comparable there, but still, I mean, the growth is the growth, and, and what we're talking about. Uh, number one, I mean, Hasbro. I don't think is really known for video games, digital games, and and so to be able to sort of pick up uh, that that share there is is impressive. But I mean, again, I think Hasbro uh, on the whole has a has a very diverse uh, business with a lot of successful properties in it, and this quarter certainly proved that. I think last week we were talking about Netflix needing to raise some money, and here well, we they do. Here we are a week <laughs> later. Netflix raising a billion dollars in Europe. They they can use it for whatever they want, but doesn't the smart money say that they're going to be spending this month, if not all of this money, at least the bulk of this money on original content? They better. <laughs> Amazon's catching up to them in terms of spending on original content. I look like. Six billion for Netflix this year, and four and a half billion for Amazon this year. So, they're they're, they're ramping it up, and and they can sell their Prime Video at at less than Netflix can because they can rely on the retail and the Amazon Web Services. So, there's definitely some competition. They're heating up for the over the top original content programming, and Amazon's not something I want to see in my rearview mirror if I'm Netflix. <laughs> no. What do you think, Jason? I think I mean this was certainly expected. I think it's it's. I mean, Netflix is a business that is going to be beholden to this very behavior, I think, for the foreseeable future. And I mean, they were transparent about that. I mean, Reed Hastings has a strategy and he's playing it out. So I think, on the one hand, um, I mean, yeah, we expect to see this. Might as well get this financing while it's cheap. Um, I mean, they also have a pretty Healthy stock price, I guess, is the best way to put it, and they could they could certainly um, get get some cheap capital uh, there as well. I think the question that I have with Netflix, and I mean, it, I I think this is a, a wonderful business. Reed Hastings is very bright. He's, he saw this a long time ago, and the strategy has really worked out well for him. At some point, though, I mean, you have to start wondering how saturated the subscriber base becomes, and then. You have to start asking the question: of What kind of pricing power do these guys have? Because we are in such a competitive environment now, and there's so many alternatives out there. I mean, we were talking about this earlier this morning on on the MDP team about how 20, 30 years ago, whenever when when The Sopranos came out for HBO, and that that was sort of a revolutionary program, right? It was sort of a, a step forward for for television, um, and, and it was unique. And it lived a very long life, even well after after it had it had gone off the air. Today, I don't think these purveyors of original content have that same luxury. These franchises, these names, they don't last as long. They don't live as long because there's so much competition out there. And so, something like House of Cards, for example, probably isn't going to be as relevant. And maybe that's an outlier. I mean, I hear it's really good, but but I don't know that it's going to hold the same sort of relevance. Maybe ten or twenty years down the line. Um, that something like perhaps the Sopranos did. I, I think when we start looking looking at this business, we have to think like, all right, these guys are probably going to have to be 
raising a lot of money just perpetually in order to keep churning out the original content um, and, and keeping up with all of the other players in the space. It's a fascinating space to watch, and I think the Netflix certainly is the leader in it. I think that they've done a lot of things right, um, and I don't I don't suspect that Netflix is going to go the way of the Dodo Bird. But I mean, looking at from the investor's perspective, I mean, I kind of kind of wonder if maybe the low hanging fruit hasn't been picked here. But is there, in terms of just this deal, just the raising of a billion dollars, do you prefer this move as opposed to well, let's let's do a secondary offering, let's you know that kind of thing, just let's just issue some more stock? I think today I would rather see them take the debt out because I think at some point rates are going to be a bit higher, and I think that they're going to. Tend to probably keep a pretty healthy share price because I think I think generally speaking, Wall Street's on board with what they're doing, and it's it's obviously a very good business that is very customer centric. I think when you have a business with leadership, Reed Hastings, Jeff Bezos, these kind of people, and they're very customer centric, they really just want to give their customers what they want. Those are really powerful long term stories as long as they sort of stay in line with that philosophy. And so I, I suspect that Netflix will be very successful for many years to come just because of that alone. I it, concur. It's <laughs> thank you, Doctor. <laughs> um, it, no, it is it is an interesting question. The you know, the example that you raised, Jason, about the Sopranos and HBO, because anytime I open up the HBO Go app, um, I am struck by how prominent The Sopranos is still to this day, yeah. in terms of HBO promoting it. It is it is so well regarded. It is held up over time, and it is one of those sort of you know you can almost put it in air quotes HBO classic mm. um, series that brand new audiences are finding every year. And I think we'll only figure this out as time goes on. But it will be interesting to see ten years from now, twenty years from now. What are the things that Netflix is promoting that they that they own? What is their original content that they're like? Nope, we're gonna we're gonna be pushing this out to people because it holds up over time. Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, I I, I say this without have I've never seen one episode of House of Cards. I don't know anything about the show, other than it's obviously been very well received. And maybe that is sort of their Sopranos. Maybe that is the the, the property that holds up over time like that. I, I think those are going to be very uh, tough to come by. In the coming decade and beyond, because of the amount of content that's there's just so much good stuff out there. Far more TV than there is time in the day to watch, it. Well, at least for most of us. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, before we get to our next story, I got to say thanks to Warby Parker for supporting today's episode. They make high quality, stylish, and affordable glasses that start at only ninety five dollars, including prescription lenses, and they make it easy. To buy glasses online and risk-free with their home try-on program, it allows you to order five pair of glasses shipped directly to your door. You can try them on in the comfort of your own home, and you can get feedback from your family, your friends, your colleagues. You keep the frames for five days before sending them back using the prepaid return shipping label with no obligation to purchase. They've got a bunch of great designs. They've got sunglasses. You don't even need a prescription. You don't need prescription glasses to benefit from Warby Parker's offers. When you place an order for prescription glasses, you'll have them back in your hands within 10 business days. Uh, my experience with them was so smooth, so great, um, and it actually went faster than, than the 10 days. I got them back a lot, a lot faster than that. Uh, and last but not least, for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. So you can try it out for yourself and see how good you look in their frames. Go to warbyparker.com fool to order your own free home try-on kit with free shipping all around. Lowercase fool. 
everybody, lowercase f-o-o-l. For once. I know. For, exactly. Um, and if you can't decide on a pair yourself, here's what you do. You download the Warby Parker app for your iPhone or iPad and create a video of yourself in your home try-on frames, and you can easily share it with your family and friends to help you pick a winner. You crowdsource it, Jason. Don't just rely on me or anyone here at the Motley Fool. Go to people who actually care about you. Like, yeah, but a, see now a, you get stuck in in the. I'm gonna. You remember that Seinfeld where George is looking for some new glasses and yeah. he ends up getting ladies' glasses. His yeah, friends misguided him. <laughs> they gave him some bad advice. Yeah, that's why you want to download the war before. Well, I don't think it was intentional. They were just. They didn't really care. They didn't care. Yeah, yeah. You want to crowdsource this thing? Well, but you're assuming that other people care, Chris. <sighs> maybe, maybe they really don't. Maybe I, there's a survey question: Do you care? Yes, you get the photo. <laughs> exactly. No, you just skip right to like a cat a, gym. You or do something. a Twitter poll, and then whoever is responding, then that's who you share the video <laughs> with. Go to WarbyParker.com/fool and order your free home try-ons. Uh, as I said at the top, some good news for Samsung today: they are no longer the only consumer tech company. Making headlines for having their products explode. <laughs> I love how you frame <laughs> A Wisconsin woman said she sustained second degree burns after her Fitbit fitness tracker exploded on her wrist. Uh, Diana Mitchell had only owned her Fitbit Flex 2 for two weeks when the alleged incident occurred, wait for it, as she was reading a book. She said there was no indication that there was anything wrong with the device. I'm assuming right up until the point that it exploded on her wrist. She was reading a. She's just hanging out reading. A, she should have been walking. I was going to say it was, maybe that's it was just a, a warning shot. Yeah. You that's, think that's, that's what it was? It get was a, up and move. That's like the boxing glove alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. right? It's just giving you that nudge. Oh my! I mean, that's that to me is the most amazing part of this story. It's not. Wow, she was she was out there running. She was out there exercising. She was burning it up. The heat of the sun was the heat. Yeah, yeah she was outside. It's some extenuating circumstances. No, she's just hanging out reading just a due book. To inactivity. And yeah. and you know what? If you're Fitbit, I'm. Let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say this is the only time this happens. It's not a Samsung Seven situation where you know there are multiple incidents. Let's say this is the only time this happens. If you're Fitbit, this is absolutely the last thing you need. Well, you're even, not, even if it's just one time, this is the last thing you need. You're yeah. not nearly as well diversified as Samsung. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. They can recover a little bit better. And I, I mean, I, we were having fun. I mean, certainly don't want to make light of anyone having something that explodes on them. I mean, you um, saw the picture. Right, I did. I, I don't want that happening to me. I mean, I, and I, the thing is, I can't help but sort of go back to this question. I wonder how much this actually matters for these guys at this point. Though. I mean, that old saying, I mean, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? I mean, for Fitbit, does it really matter at this point? I mean, isn't this company, isn't it kind of just done anyway? Like, I mean, I think I think the fitness device market perhaps is, I think it's had its day in the sun. You, I really, I really, really? I, you think I, they're I, going I away? No, I don't think they're going away. But I think that the novelty of the concept has worn off, and I think that the people that really want them have them, and I, I just don't know what what the growth opportunity really there is. I mean, I, I think that Fitbit trying to become something more than just this device company really told us a lot right there. I mean, they even know that they have to be a little bit more than a hardware provider in order to be successful in this line of work because it really is not about the hardware. It's about what the hardware is telling you. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of these devices have had sort of the hurdle of getting past making sure that dev- the device is giving you good information. And but not I, exploding. And, 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 and not, not exploding. exploding. But I mean, I feel like 
I feel like they've lost their novelty. I feel like the people who want them have them. And, and yeah, you're right. This certainly doesn't help them at all, but I don't even know that it really matters at this point. Your phone can do it. There's plenty of watches that can do it. Sure. If Under Armour has their druthers, their Under clothes are going to do it. That, they have shoes yeah. that are doing it. So now you can wear shoes that'll actually tell you all of this yeah. stuff, and you don't have to wear this. Now, if Under Armour shoes start exploding, we've got a big problem. <laughs> but. Well, if you're close to the finish line, maybe. I, well, you know, maybe I think that that's helps been you out the neat bit. thing about the wearables market is figuring, okay, it doesn't actually have to be a watch or some wrist device. It could be something a bit more discreet mm-hmm. and not quite so obvious. And so I think those are the implications that the wearables market is, is really, that to me is where that's the forward looking nature of it, right? I think Fitbit really hasn't presented us with anything beyond devices that may or may not explode on your wrist. You think 2017 is the year someone buys Fitbit? I don't think so. I don't know why really? you buy it. I mean, why? I don't. I, why? Why? Why would you buy it? I, I guess is the question. I think you would buy it because the the brand is well, it, you know. Again, assuming no more explosions take place let's and hope burning for people's yeah, wrists. Yeah, I mean, let's let's hope this is an isolated incident. Absolutely. Uh, I think that you know there there is some there is some value there. It's it's more than zero, I guess is the way I would put it. So, Probably, but are they willing to sell for less? I, than and I don't know. I mean, too, I look at something like I mean, the, the example I go back to is um, Leapfrog, right? I mean, I think Leapfrog was sort of a very good case study in something where, generally speaking, you like the the what they stand for. I mean, it was it was building devices for kids to help them start learning even even younger than ever before, but the problem was that. They immediately, I mean, they just became obsolete. You put an app on an iPod, iPad for that, and you're fine. Exactly. So it was less about the device and more about the information Mm -hmm. that the device was giving you. And and there were other ways to get that information out there. And Leapfrog's technology really was rendered obsolete in short order. And then as an acquirer, you have to look at that and say, why do I want this? I mean, is this something that's going to require more money to fix or turn around than is worth it? Because I'm certain businesses like Apple, for example, are going to have. Better ways to get that information to get that information out to consumers and and then to parse all of that data and actually make something of it. So, I don't know. I guess I just I'm not I'm not clear as to why someone would want to acquire it. Same That's remains just to be me. seen. <laughs> all right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.